Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee news in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Are you ready for global cryptocurrency money laundering regulations? CypherTrace secures the crypto economy with powerful AML tools for exchanges, crypto businesses, and regulators. My guest today is Andrew Keyes, co-founder of Consensus Capital. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks for having me, Laura. Last week, I did an episode about Consensus's recent woes, and afterward, I received some criticism from people I respect. Upon reflection, I regret and apologize for my tone. I felt that I had foreseen that the path Consensus was going down was not going to be sustainable, and it was something I had thought for at least a year before the announcement of Consensus's new focus and layoffs. I think a know-it-all attitude crept into the episode, which I regret and apologize for, especially since layoffs are no fun for anybody. I've invited Andrew here to make my apology and also to learn what Consensus plans to do about its layoffs and its new focus. And before we continue further, full disclosure, everyone, that Consensus did sponsor my podcasts at some point. Andrew, Consensus has had a couple big announcements in recent weeks. First came news of a letter to staff saying it was going to undergo a course correction and pay more attention to efficiency, accountability, and revenue. How did the company come to the realization that it needed to evolve into what it called Consensus 2.0? So I think early on, uh, we were essentially building software with no functioning developer tools on a platform that wasn't even released in an ecosystem that didn't yet exist. So, so we had to build much of that and we had to kind of test hypotheses. As the ecosystem matured and consensus matured, we believe that it was time to now go from more of a research and development focus into a rigorous product creation focus. And really that has been the transition. And so let's also talk about the news that happened the following week, which was the decision to lay off about 150 members of your staff. How did that come about? Sure. So we, in in the same vein, we thought that we needed to restructure uh, to uh, create a ecosystem and and a, and a company uh, that was focused on building proper product. So we worked on. Uh, reorganizing to be as efficient as possible. And in what areas of the company were people laid off? There were various areas. Uh, we were uh, we worked on uh, consolidating in our enterprise solutions teams in geographies that we didn't consider to be as important at this moment. Uh, there was administrative staff, and there was just typical attrition of of, of teammates that potentially weren't necessarily working out. Uh, we were growing uh, tremendously to maintain pace with the growth of the ecosystem. And it was just part of a typical restructuring to, to work that attrition out. And so 150 layoffs is 
kind of a lot. It's roughly half of the new headcount you added in 2018. Was How did you not realize earlier that this level of staffing wasn't necessary or prudent? Well, I, I think we were just evolving. And, and I think that we needed to test our, our waters. And, and I think that the staff that were laid off uh, could have potentially been a good fit, but it was, they they just weren't. And we had to try that. And uh, I think that this is a common practice in companies. And so how much of the new layoffs and this new focus also had to do with the decline in the prices of Bitcoin and Ether? I think that that uh, expedited it some somewhat, but uh, you know we've been designing Consensus 2.0 uh, for a while. In the last few weeks, we had to accelerate the implementation uh, from ideas into actions. But it's been long clear that as the ecosystem matured, uh, we had to mature with it. It required us to refocus uh, and shift from experimentation to to what we consider to be excellence moving forward. And so. When you talked in the beginning about how you initially started building on a platform that didn't even exist in the beginning and there were few developer tools for, et cetera. So at that time, then what were your goals and how did you direct your work? Like what were uh, your targets, I guess, that you were trying to reach? So, so uh, Joe actually uses a great analogy that uh, we were essentially building a laboratory uh, to demonstrate that the moon existed uh, using kind of math, creative philosophical arguments and demonstrations. And, and, and basically, we were research focused. We, we understood what the decentralized World Wide Web could potentially look like. And we, we, we thought that would uh, surmount in, in protocol layer engineering. So developing implementations of the Ethereum protocol, we maintained three of the eight implementations. We maintained the Java client, the .NET client, uh, the Haskell client. Above that, we thought everyone needed developer tools. So we've built the most used developer tools in the ecosystem. Uh, it goes by Impact, I, Infura, M, Metamask, the most used uh, wallet in the ecosystem. P is Pantheon, which is our Java client. A is Alethio, uh, which does all of the statistics around uh, data uh, on the Ethereum ecosystem, and uh, Kaleido, which is our uh, enterprise tool, and Truffle, which is the smart contract developer tool. And we had to build out the tooling. Then we had to go on to the product level. We started incubating products and we use that in a venture studio model so we could work in terms of economies of scope you know if we had 20 different uh products that we were building they would all need a wallet so we thought that it was efficient to have you know one team working on the wallet and all the other uh 20 teams being able to use that wallet then we've built enterprise and government consulting engagements you know our clients range from microsoft GlaxoSmithKline, santander jp morgan the worldwide uh, Wildlife Foundation, we built the EU's blockchain observatory. So on a monthly basis, all of the members of the EU come to Brussels, where we actually train them and elucidate use cases from proof of concept into production. We've also done that with uh, many central banks, South Africa, Monetary Authority of Singapore, uh, Union Bank in Philippines. Lastly, we also built a, a uh, academy. So we've, we've educated over 25,000 people, 
not only engineers, but we've created blockchain for lawyers, blockchain for uh, accounting, uh, blockchain for financial services personnel. So meeting uh, subject matter experts in their domain to teach them what this paradigm, this new paradigm looks like. And out of curiosity, as far as I understand, for a lot of these enterprise engagements, if not all of them, I think at least the majority of them were private blockchains, right? So how does that help further the Ethereum ecosystem? Sure. So I believe 2018 in the blockchain years uh, is the equivalent of 1994, 1995. You know, we're pre-dial-up, if you were to make the parallel to 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 legacy Internet 2.0. And uh, we are building use cases and proofs of concepts on intranets because the public internet is not yet ready. Uh, as we all know, public Ethereum is still going through a scalability upgrade and privacy upgrade uh, roadmap. And whilst that is being upgraded, uh, creating these proofs of concepts and minimal viable products and smaller consortia while that that the public permissionless blockchain is being upgraded, uh, I think it uh, serves as a great transition. And you said that that's one area that you're cutting, particularly in geographies that you deem less important. So am I right in thinking that it is a kind of, um, I guess, maybe tangential uh, to the growth of Ethereum in that regard? I think we're doubling down in places where we're seeing tremendous opportunity and we are cutting back in places that have not had as explosive growth. Uh, and what are those areas? So, so we're, we're working, I mean, we can go vertically or we can go by geographies, but we're doubling down in pure fintech. We're doubling down in San Francisco, New York, London, uh, and maybe some of the secondary markets that we haven't seen as much growth or much demand in parts of South America, as example, we, we are reducing our exposure. And as reported by Breaker Mag, it seems like you'll soon be announcing that you're taking on outside investment for the first time. Uh, we are considering uh, that option. Uh, nothing is set in stone yet. And OK. And if so, would that be from traditional venture capital or... Uh, or potentially strategics that, that are aligned to the vision of a decentralized World Wide Web. Okay, okay. So I guess <laughs> we'll, we'll see what you, what you guys announce, if anything. So in a moment, we'll keep discussing Consensus's new focus. But first, a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. Ready or not, the Financial Action Task Force anti-money laundering recommendations soon go into effect globally. If you handle cryptocurrencies, no matter where you do business, these new AML laws will apply to you. CypherTrace helps exchanges, ICOs, funds, brokerages, and regulators understand and manage crypto asset and compliance risks. Learn how to reduce your exposure and prepare now for tough new regulations. CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. Learn more at cyphertrace.com slash unconfirmed. I'm speaking with Andrew Keyes of Consensus. So in the episode last week, I mentioned that what had made me think um, maybe about a year ago or so, or a little bit longer, that consensus didn't need such a large headcount in the first place, was noticing that Coinbase appeared to have had greater success with a lower headcount and less capital. But one of my critics said that it wasn't a fair comparison. And I know consensus has long billed itself as a venture studio, and it doesn't have the ethos, culture, or structure of a traditional company. 
So if you didn't previously measure yourself against the metrics of a traditional company, what were those metrics? Well, well, first off, I, I think that, you know, Coinbase is a centralized exchange. This is a tried and true business model. Uh, they extract transaction fees and are in a regular regulatory privileged position in the U.S., it doesn't necessarily take thousands of people to build that where we're building the next generation of the internet. And as I explained, there are different layers of that stack from developer tools to operating systems to open source considerations and applications that essentially lie on top of the, these new operating systems. We're also educating people about decentralization. We have to explain to the non-technical world what decentralization is, uh, as most of our population, in my opinion, has taken that as a status quo, as a foregone con conclusion. So, I mean, you know, we supported, you know, as you said, you know, your show to help people understand these concepts. So there has been what I would consider lost leads in investment as part of our consensus 1.0, where we're, we're trying to educate, elucidate these use cases and scale them into proofs of uh, production systems, but but now we're going to uh, be more rigorous in our investment criteria and look for things like revenue, things like product market fit, uh, traditional uh, avenues of how companies make money. So it sounds sort of like the first phase consensus 1.0 was more focused on education and sort of spreading the word amongst developers and kind of seeding activity in the Ethereum ecosystem. And now you're going to try to operate more like a traditional business, like more like a, a traditional centralized company. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, we were building software with no functioning developer tools on a platform that wasn't released in an ecosystem that didn't exist. So we did that ourselves. And, and, and I think that we helped create this movement of decentralization, which I think is a very valid endeavor. And, and, and kind of Joe uh, not only allocated, you know, capital, I mean, I, I think he allocated his heart into I mean, he funded the whole building thing. that out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you know, he, I mean, if, 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 if anyone takes the time to meet him, I, I think that he's almost come from a spiritual place uh, thinking that this is the best foot forward or the best step forward for humanity. And, and, and I can't fault him in doing so. And, and, and I, I mean, there are lots of businesses that we have that are making money. Uh, we have enterprise consulting engagements. We have our diligence projects that are making money. We've raised hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, through token launches and through, uh, various auditing projects that, that we've created. So I think it's just a matter of continuing to focus on that now that the ecosystem is maturing? Well, I think as far as I can tell from the uh, released uh, questions that were asked in a town hall, I think people are very curious about the financials. And the Forbes article that was, uh, the, it was the author, Jeff Coughlin, my former colleague who I had interviewed last week, he had estimated that your burn rate was about a hundred million a year. And you did mention some revenues, but what is, what, how do the revenues compare against what you guys have been spending. So uh, I'm not at liberty to go through our uh, burn specifically, uh, but we are a tech startup that is prioritizing growth 
over uh, over burn at this point, uh, and we have we are capitalized uh, for multiple years. And so for going forward, you did talk about how you're going to be looking more at return on investment, et cetera. So what projects within consensus do you think now are potentially the best avenues for generating more revenue going forward? So I think uh, a lot of our enterprise engagements where we're co-venturing. So one uh, is we're creating a commodities trading platform with 15 of the largest uh, financial institutions in the world uh, named Congo. Uh, we've also got our venture studio that basically takes different aspects of our application layer and productizes them. Uh, we've we've created everything from decentralized prediction markets, poker platforms, music industry platforms that are all early stage products that are that we're rolling out uh, for external investment that are uh, generating revenue. And but for those, as far as I understand, many of them are token projects. So is that traditional revenue? So uh, not necessarily. Uh, there is traditional revenue in terms of fiat, or we can we can take digital assets and convert them to, to fiat as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to understand is, so many of them, I believe, are launching decentralized networks. Right. So then I imagine you guys own a portion of the tokens, but is it something like also if they're making fees or something, then you obtain a portion of that? Absolutely. Oh, interesting. Okay. So at this point, how much runway does consensus estimate it has? We have multiple years without external capital. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That was one of the questions I noticed in the the town hall uh, that people were wondering about because there was some, I, at least in, in the records of the questions, it was some people were saying, we thought we had years and now you're saying months. But okay, if it's years, then it's years. Uh, consensus has long prided itself on its flat, hier- unhierarchical culture and ethos. Do you think that was partly to blame for the company ending up in this situation? So I think decentralization is a strategy and it's how we attract the best talent. And I think that at times it can be messy. It's probably most efficient for somebody hierarchically to give orders, but uh, we're trying to practice what we preach and uh, innovation is messy. And, And I think that we're in the first out of the first inning of the next generation of the World Wide Web. So I, I think that uh, what we give up in the ability to hierarchically dole out orders, uh, we can make up by attracting the best talent. And, and I think that it, it's also a way for us to, to, to really uh, embody the technology that we're creating. So earlier you were talking about how you know, or we were talking about how you started off with sort of this education goal and this goal of getting a lot of developers attracted to Ethereum and how now you're going to be maybe having a little bit more of a kind of the traditional priorities of a company. Does that mean that you will also be adopting a culture that's more traditional in the sense that it'll be less flat, which is, it's, you know, which it's been what I'd say is we're, we're, we're going to add additional layers of accountability, but I, I still think that we will uh, try to operate in a non-hierarchical uh, manner. Okay. All right. Well, 
I'm so glad that I was able to talk with you and say, give you my apology and to also say that I'm sorry that you guys have had to go through layoffs. I, I know it's not fun for anybody, um, but we will see what happens with Consensus 2.0. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Lawyer. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast episode. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Raylan Galapali, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening. 